Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. In 2013, off the Nigerian coast, a small tugboat capsized and went down. A crew of about 12 people were on the ship at the time, and as it sank down, one of the crewmen named Harrison O'Keen, who was actually the cook of the ship, uh, found himself trapped in an air pocket in one of the quarters there. The other 11 on the boat died. As as the ship sank, sank all the way down to the ocean floor there, Harrison found himself in pitch black, cold, cold water in this little air pocket there for over 60 hours. I want to, just for a second, acknowledge the reality that we've never experienced anything like that, but maybe just try to put our minds in that, in that headspace. Absolute isolation, absolutely by yourself. Just moments before, you're part of a crew, you're working on a mission, you're providing for your family, you know what you're doing, you know sort of the way things are going, and now your entire world has been literally turned upside down and you find yourself completely alone, completely isolated. Like I said, none of us have experienced that sort of extreme isolation, but who hasn't felt moments in their lives in which they feel alone, in which they feel by themselves, maybe in a relationship, maybe at work or at school, you feel like you are just walking through life completely and totally by yourself. After about 60 hours, Chevron sent a dive crew down to retrieve the bodies of what they assumed were the 12 crewmen on that ship. And as they explored and as they went down to that ship and and tried to pull the bodies out, they pulled 11 bodies out. And then right about 60 hours, they discovered Harrison was still alive. There's actually a photo of a man named Alex Gibb reaching out and holding the hand of Harrison, letting him know that they were there. If we could even begin to put our minds in the feelings of isolation that Harrison was feeling, could you then try to feel the joy, the excitement, the level of hope that you would feel when you see the lights from the divers, when you feel the touch of another human? The story goes on that Alex Gibbs actually sat with Harrison for over three days. They had to go through a whole process. You can't just go from the ocean floor after 60 hours and straight up to the surface. You have to go through a process of, um, of something. I don't even really know what it is. It has to do with your oxygen and not blowing up. And so they went through this process and, and Alex walked him through that entire thing, changed his um, bed linens for him, brought him food, sat with him, even as he slept. Whenever Harrison would awake, Alex was sitting there with him, somebody to walk with him through the scariest moments of his life as he resurfaces. The context of our story here today in John chapter 14 is the same conversation that was happening last week. As Jesus tells them, I'm about to leave, he tells them that I expect that you will love one another just the way that I have loved you, and that regardless of the circumstances, 
No matter what happens, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how choppy your heart feels, that in those moments, particularly in those moments, you will trust God, trust me. And now he shifts here just a moment to say, I will not leave you alone. In verse 20 or in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. An amazing passage, an amazing thing to just sit and think about as Jesus uses familial language to tell his disciples that you are family. I will not leave you. You are part of me. I am part of you. We are together. But which one is it? Is he going to leave or is he not going to leave them alone? As we unpack the story and as Jesus teaches a little bit more, what we realize is that Jesus says he will send another, another one to act and to walk in the same way that Jesus has lived with these disciples. He tells them that he is going to send another one that will encourage them. So the question really is for us, who did Jesus send? Who is it that would comfort them, that would walk alongside of them, that would help them when their hearts are troubled because the reality is that if Jesus is leaving and we're upset about that or the disciples are upset about that, the only thing that could make it better is someone just as good as Jesus, right? It's the only thing that makes sense. Let's pray together and then we're going to unpack exactly what it is that Jesus says, who he sent, and what we can learn about him in chapter 14 verses 25 through 26. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for the blessing of the weather, the blessing of gathering together as a church, of not being alone, of being together and worshiping you. God, I pray that our hearts are drawn closer together as we learn, as maybe we realize for the first time, as maybe we are introduced for the first time to Holy Spirit and the encouragement and the strength and the comfort that his reality is. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together, amen. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 26 say this, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. Clearly the context is the same. I'm going away, but right now I'm with you. So I'm telling you this, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. This verse begins, or, or, or the part that really we need to stop at first is this phrase right here, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, the counselor, that word there is the one that might trip us up. Show of hands, how many of you, whichever English version you are using there in your lap, how many of you have a different word than counselor? all across the room, different words. It is a word in the Greek that is, the word is paraclete. And we don't have an English word for it that is direct in translation. Um, to break apart the word, we would get something along the lines of the one who comes alongside or the one that is called to help, all right? So there's not a word, there's a phrase that would kind of translate the idea. In different English translations, you might have advocate, helper, counselor, comforter. There's any number of things that could, um, could be translated in that way. And so it's interesting to us that Jesus says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to send to you a paraclete. I'm going to send to you another paraclete. And so as we unpack that, we can begin to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. He says this paraclete is the Holy Spirit. Now, 
just uh, by way of warning, some time ago, I developed the habit of referring to Holy Spirit without the article, just saying Holy Spirit. I do that, uh, I think originally I did that because of uh, the personality of the Holy Spirit so that we don't feel like he is an emotion or a force. Instead, he is a person with an identity and and unique um, attributes. And so Holy Spirit is sort of the way that I refer to him to help myself realize that it's not like the force in Star Wars. Instead, it is the third person of the Trinity. So I don't want to trip you up as I, as I read these things and as I say these things, maybe. I just don't want any of you sitting there the whole sermon going, why isn't he saying the? Why doesn't he say the article? Um, it's, I don't know. It's just something that I did and I, and I promise some of you will pick it up as well. And so I apologize for that in the beginning. But Holy Spirit, we've seen active all throughout the Bible. Our earliest introduction to him is as the Spirit of God moves across the face of the deep, bringing order to chaos. We see as he empowers the prophets to speak on God's behalf, to to perform miracles. We see as Holy Spirit brings life to dry bones. In the New Testament, we see Holy Spirit empower Jesus and walk with Jesus enable him to live a perfect and a sinless life. He then strengthens the church, founding the church, giving them abilities and miracles that are hard to explain. He goes with the apostles as they scatter throughout the world. We see Holy Spirit active all throughout scripture. Holy Spirit, we have some context for, but it's when we add this paraclete um, sort of definition to him that we begin to get tripped up. This is what Jesus gives as comfort as he is comforting his followers he's about to leave but he says not to be too upset because i'm going to give you another paraclete my hope this morning is that we would we would have a basic introduction to what the bible what jesus says about the person holy spirit all denominations do this but baptists are particularly good at it in which if another denomination seems to be like really into something, we try to avoid it, all right? That's kind of their thing. And so like when we talk about confession, the Bible says to confess your sins one to another. But baptism, uh, confession, that's a Catholic thing, all right? We, we don't really do that, you know, but the Bible told us to do it. Holy Spirit is one of those doctrines where we really kind of feel like that's Pentecostals, that's Charismatics, that's the Assemblies of God. They're going to really kind of zero in on that. We're not against them. They're going to focus on that. We're going to focus on, you know, missions or, or something along those lines. But the Bible does not afford us the opportunity, the privilege. You're not allowed to just ignore doctrines, realities within Scripture. And so while we could do a deep dive into the doctrine of Holy Spirit, which we call the big word for it is pneumatology, we could do that. Instead today, what I thought we'd just take these two verses and begin to introduce ourselves to the person of Holy Spirit. Just by looking at the phrases, let's look at a few of them. Here's the first one. The counselor, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. One of the first attributes that we discover about Holy Spirit is that he is sent by the Father. So what does that mean? Well, one thing we can understand is that anything that the Father, which the Bible calls our good, good Father, any good thing that comes from the Father is a good gift. Anything that comes from the Father of lights is a good gift for us. So we can begin to understand that regardless of what it is that you do or do not know about Holy Spirit, He is good. He is a good gift sent from our loving and kind and gracious Father. 
Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus says Holy Spirit is good, that he is a good gift that comes from our heavenly Father. So we need not fear the idea or the person of Holy Spirit. In fact, we ought to welcome We ought to cherish, we ought to be interested just in the fact that he is a good gift from the Father. Do y'all have any uh, uh, people in your life that when they give you a gift, it can be wrapped up, it can be in a bag, it can be in a beautiful bag, all decorated very nicely. You know for a fact, before you even open it, this is a horrible gift. Does anybody know that? Like, like just because of who's giving it to you, you're like, oh, great, thank you. This is probably like a figurine made out of walnut shells or something like that. It's just, it's just not something you want, but they decide to give this to you, you know? And, and yet we have other people in our lives that you can get something and it can be just in the, in the, in the bag it came in, right? It can be in an Amazon box. And you think to yourself, this is going to be amazing. It's so thoughtful, it's interesting, it's probably something I've never even knew that I needed, right? Some people just know how to give good gifts. Some people, regardless of what they give you, it is a good, good gift. Our Father, God, is like that. What he gives to you, it is good. From the very beginning, what we know, Holy Spirit is good. It is a good gift from the Father. In this way, I can easily understand why some of your English translations would use the word comforter, comforter. That as Jesus is leaving, as he is about to depart, as he is about to go away and leave them physically here on the planet, he tells them you can be comforted in this reality that another, a separate, another paraclete is going to come and comfort you. There's a good gift from the Father and not something that you need to worry about, not something that when your heart is troubled will not be there for you. This is why the Holy Spirit is calming and it's good. So just right off the bat, paraclete is good. It's a good gift. Look at the next phrase. It says, whom the Father will send in my name. All right, this is an interesting phrase because we do this a lot. We've all prayed in Jesus' name, right? We are taught that that's the way that you end your prayers. In fact, we got that from this very same chapter. In chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, just a few verses up higher, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, then the Father will do it, will give it to you. So we sort of become, um, the two ways that we understand this is either it's just the magic words that you say at the end of a prayer. It's like uh, uh, Pastor David says, it's like pressing send on an email, all right? It is the way that the email gets to God is if you say in Jesus' name, that's one way that we understand it. Or another way that we understand it is sort of like this, um, this magic ability that whatever I pray, if I pray it in Jesus' name, therefore he will do it. Jesus, give me a million dollars in Jesus' name, amen. And then you just wait for the check to come. We've kind of understood it in these two ways, and both of those ways are not correct. Praying in Jesus' name means to pray in Jesus' authority, and it is consistent with what Jesus taught and the way that he lived. So you can't just pray whatever you want to and slap Jesus' name on the end of it and expect it to happen. 
I could pray all day long that I would look like a Hollywood star and it's just not going to happen or that I could play basketball or, or something like that. It's just not going to happen, all right? Even if I pray in Jesus' name, it's not going to happen. So there's this idea that praying in Jesus' name is going to pray with what is consistent with Jesus. Have you seen the stories of people getting spammed with emails that come from their boss or from a friend or something like this? This has actually happened to our staff here at the church where an email will come from Pastor Josh and Pastor Josh requests that you go buy 100 iTunes gift cards and then bring them and, and put the numbers into something like that. You know, that sort of thing. It's, it, it's actually kind of a popular spam. Thankfully, our staff saw the email and thought, this doesn't seem like something that real Pastor Josh would want them to do, right? And so we mark it as spam and we block it and we didn't buy any iTunes gift cards, all right? Because it's not consistent with the way that I am. I'm not going to email you on a Saturday night and ask you to buy 100 gift cards. Church, for the record, I will never email you and ask you to buy anything, all right? It is not consistent with, even though it has my name on it, same thing with Jesus. Holy Spirit will be sent by God in Jesus' name. It will be consistent with what Jesus taught. It will also be consistent with the way that Jesus lived. The Bible teaches us that Jesus lived by the power and the guidance of the Spirit and the work that the Spirit did. Theologian Bruce Ware wrote one of my favorite books. It's called The Man Christ Jesus. And in it, he wrote this. The Holy Spirit's role in the life of Christ was not limited to the conception and birth. He also empowered Jesus for his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. The impact to the disciples is this. As Jesus says, I'm going to go away, the very same friend that walked with Jesus through his earthly life would then walk with each of them. The very same person that's consistent with Jesus' teachings and with his life. Romans 8, 11 says, and if the spirit of, whom, of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. The very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the very same friend that walks with those who believe and trust in Christ. Again, Bruce Ware wrote, the Holy Spirit's empowerment of Jesus was not just for Jesus' sake, but also for the sake of those whom Jesus came to save and to whom he would eventually send the spirit as a gift. Jesus says, I'm about to go, but, but don't be worried about it because... Because the Father sends good gifts and he will send another, a paraclete, that will act consistently with the way that I have acted and the way that I have taught. He goes on to say this, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Now, honestly, this week as I wrestled with this verse and I studied this verse, this phrase was the one that I I had the most questions about. It's not even the most theological of the phrases, but it was the one that made me stop and ask, how does he even do that? How does Holy Spirit teach me? How does he remind me? How did he teach them? And how did he remind him? And so just putting my mind in, in, in the lives of the apostles, in the lives of the disciples, I tried to think, what did Holy Spirit do for the disciples in the, in the years that followed Jesus' ascension, when he departed, when he left? Well, 
One thing I think Holy Spirit taught them through experience, through their experiences. What's about to happen for the apostles after Jesus ascends is that they will experience great victories where many, many thousands of people will come to believe and to trust in Jesus. They will experience great hardships and challenges and trials and all but one of them will be martyred for their faith. And I believe that in those moments, in those times, in their everyday lives, in the Mondays, through the Sundays, in the, in the ups and the downs, there were moments in which the apostles, through the illumination of Holy Spirit in their lives, thought, oh, this is what he meant. Taught them in those experiences where they said, I remember Jesus saying that the world hates him and so they're going to hate. This is actually encouraging that he will never leave us nor depart from us, that those who remain in him will grow and will flourish and that, that there will be, their, 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 their young men will prophesy and their young daughters will prophesy as well. He, they saw this happening. They saw these things happening and through experiences, they were taught by the Holy Spirit. I also think through the word, through what we call scripture, through what we call the New Testament, there is this reminding, bringing to their memories what it is that Jesus taught. He says, and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. That they remembered the words of Jesus and those words taught them. Holy Spirit taught them. One commentator said that Holy Spirit acts as a prompter a reminder that, rem that reminds the followers of Jesus, the words that Jesus said in the New Testament. The emphasis here is on memory, is on the idea that you have learned, that you have already read the words of Jesus. For us today, that you have read the New Testament, that you have read the Old Testament, that you know what the Bible teaches. Therefore, when you get into that experience or when you're faced with that challenge, then Holy Spirit recalls to your mind the things that you have learned. Whenever I'm about to preach, I pray the same prayer almost every single time. God, bring to my mind and my mouth what it is that I have studied. Bring to my mind and my mouth what it is that I have studied. See, you can't bring to my mind and my mouth what I have not studied. <coughs> have y'all seen the, the little video? Uh, it's been floating around the internet for a while where this little boy is sitting in front of a book and he's in a classroom and the book is open in front of him and he's doing this. And then he'll flip the page and he does this. It's like right before a test, he's sitting there and he's getting all that knowledge from the book and he's putting it in his head. That's not how it works. You have to read it. And yet so many Christians think that just by proximity, you've carried a Bible before, therefore you know what it teaches. Or you've heard something or you saw a picture on the internet with a Bible verse quote. And so therefore you understand what it teaches. And what's even more dangerous is so many Christians with that depth of study have believed themselves to be experts at what it teaches. The Holy Spirit will not recall to your mind what you have not learned, what God, what Jesus has not told you. We need to study, we need to learn, we need to have that impact in our lives. Now I know I've told you not too long ago that the heater coil in my dryer, my clothes dryer went out. And so because of the ice machine situation, I now feel like I can fix anything. 
And so I Googled this and I watched these YouTube videos and I said to myself, I can do this. This, this one looks easy. So I ordered the part and the, it took a couple days and, and then the part came in and I gathered my sons together, all three of them. And I, I set them down there in our laundry room and, and, I, and they helped me pull the, the, um, the dryer off of the platform there and we set it down on the ground. And then I showed them every step that everything that was in my mind was coming out, right? I'm like, this is, this is how you pick out which drill bit you need. And this is how the drill uh, works. And, and when you pull the screws out of this, you need to set it in one place because oftentimes they get all mixed up. Oh, and notice this, these screws are this shape and these screws are this, and you wanna keep them separate because you gotta put it back the same way. And I'm going through all of this and I'm, we're about 10 minutes into this and they're not really saying much. And finally, my, my second born child looks at me and goes, dad, why are we doing this? And I said, because son, one day you're gonna need to, I don't know, use a power drill. One day you're going to, you're gonna take something apart. One day you're gonna wanna just know at least the basics of how to do this. He's like, okay. And he sat there for like five more minutes and I was finally, I had enough of the silent attitudes. And so I just, I just sent them all out of there, right? But I did feel like they need to at least know so that later they can recall. It's the same thing in our lives with Jesus and the words of Jesus. You need to sit at the feet of Jesus. You need to be quiet and listen to what he says because one day you're gonna need to know. Principally, the scriptures are for us to know Jesus, to know him as a person. But secondarily, they are useful for us in maturity and growing and edification and what it is that we need in this life. This is where this all goes. Jesus is leaving and he clearly says while he is going, while he is gone, his disciples were to love each other and to trust God. But at this point, he says, the spirit will walk with you, each of you, And he is a good gift, consistent with Jesus's ministry, his life, his teaching. And he's going to help you do what you need to do and be there for you while you do it. God himself, God's Holy Spirit walking with each and every one of them. So when I step back from this text and I look at it and I ask myself, how does this, how does this impact my life? How do I apply this to my life? How do you apply this to my life? Well, one glaring, loud theme comes across. You are not alone. You are not alone. Over and over and over again, I feel isolated and alone. I think that many of you do the same thing. Right after the eight o'clock service, one of the ladies of our church, she's a widow, she came up and she started to tell me about how the ministry of Holy Spirit really helped her right after her husband passed away. She said she went home and she just, she said to God, well, God, it's just me and you, right? And there's a part of us that feels sad about that, but there's a part of us that should rejoice in that reality. Some studies suggest that nearly or over 60% of Americans regularly feel alone and isolated. And this goes across the entire spectrum. Economics, background, history, education levels, whether or not you're in long-term relationships, deep community like a church, whether you're student or middle-aged or or a senior adult, over 60% of us regularly feel 
like we are all by ourselves. You ever been in a room full of friends and feel completely on the outside, right? You ever sat there with your spouse and still felt completely isolated, like you are all by yourself, resounding over and over and over again for the Christian, Jesus says, you are not alone. Your whole life can feel like it's capsized and you're sitting at the bottom of the ocean in the cold water, in the dark of night. You are not alone. In John chapter 16, verse seven, Jesus says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor, the advisor, the comforter, the paraclete will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. For those who walk with Jesus, the comforter is with us. Listen, in what world, in what world would it be better that Jesus leave, right? It hurts when people leave. It hurts when people act as if you are uh, disposable, that whatever difference in life, whatever causes division would just have them to dispose of you or to disregard you or no longer speak to you or, or to just cast you off to the side. That, that hurts, that isolation feels rejecting. And so in some ways, I can imagine that the disciples are standing there and Jesus says, I'm leaving, that there's gotta feel this pain. And Jesus says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is better that I go. Have you ever tried to imagine in your mind what it would be like to actually sit with Jesus like sit across a campfire or go fishing with them or laugh, tell jokes, something like that. Try to scare them. It's like trying to trip a dog. Can you scare Jesus, you know? I don't know, but it'd be fun to try. Have you ever had that sort of in your mind and then think, he says it's literally better that he goes away. Why? Because there was only one physical Jesus. And to be near Jesus, you had to be near Jesus. But for those who trust and obey Jesus, his commands, God is with you. You are not alone. You are never alone. He is with you. It enabled them to scatter. Jesus was sent by the Father and the Spirit is sent by the Father and we are sent by the Father. Go into all the world. They could do that knowing that they are scattering and they took the good news with them all over the planet and they were not going alone. Particularly in verses 15, 21, and 23, the Bible says that if you keep Jesus' commands, then the paraclete is with you. All commentators agree that when Jesus is talking about keeping that command, it is that you would trust and obey Jesus, that you would accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that you would trust that he is the hero, that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior. When you keep that command, when you believe, when you trust Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is sent to you. You do not walk alone. The sad reality is if you reject Jesus, you walk through this life alone. No hope for tomorrow and no help for today. So trust Jesus. Not too long ago, I started to get it in my mind that I really wish my truck had um, the mirrors that fold in. You'll ever, see, you'll ever see a vehicle, maybe you have a vehicle with this super cool feature where the the mirrors fold in. My wife's vehicle is similar make, similar year, and, I, and she had it, and I didn't have it. 
And I loved my truck, but it did not have this one feature. I wanted to go to the grocery store and not fear that somebody was going to hit the mirror. I wanted to drive through the car wash, you know, and, and the mirrors all fold in. I just thought that would be so cool. And if I was pulling into my driveway, just for some reason, all of the things that I loved about my truck, I just fixated on this idea. I wish the mirrors would just fold in. That'd be cool. I, besides the usefulness of it, I just think it looks cool. You know, somebody pushes the button and, and the mirrors fold in or they push the button and it folds. So Batmobile, right? It's cool. And I wanted that. I was washing Jackie's truck one time and, and I was inside of it and I pushed the button and the mirrors folded and I thought, man, I want that on my truck, but I'm not going to like trade my truck in just for that one feature right now. I'll do it later. But I wanted that one feature so bad and I would go places. I would park my vehicle downtown or something like that and I'd see other trucks with the mirrors folded and I was like man that'd be cool I want that so I got into this mood for three or four days where I just really wanted that on my truck and it was just in my mind I wasn't like obsessing over it or anything but I just kept thinking about it. every time I'd get in my truck and drive I'd think piece of junk mirrors don't turn in you know trade this in and I'm sitting at a light shortly after I uh, was washing Jackie's car I was sitting at a light and I look over and lo and behold, there's a button right there on the door. And I press that button in and the mirrors just folded in. My truck's mirrors will fold in. It was the most exciting thing. It was like having a child. It was all of a sudden, it's just the mirrors folded. I was, I was so excited about this. I drove half of the town with my mirrors folded in just because just I could, you know. And I was so proud the next time I went to the car wash, the guy's like, you want to fold it in? like I'm driving a Tesla or something, you know. Fold those mirrors in. Really excited. I went over to Pascal's house and Pascal did some computer magic. And now whenever I push a button, the mirrors just fold in. It's, it's really remarkable. It really is a great invention. I hear Christians all the time. I talk to you all the time. Sometimes I feel this way. Where you're like, I feel alone. Isolated. I wish I had the ability, the strength, the power to live the life that Jesus lived, to, to walk the way that Jesus told me to walk, to do what God has called me to do. It's like I'm just not capable. In other words, we sort of feel like, whether we say it out loud or not, we sort of feel like we just don't have what it takes to do what it is that Jesus called us to do. And yet the whole time, it's like that feature is right there you just won't take advantage of it. You won't use it. It's like a button that's always been there and you just didn't know that it was there. What Jesus teaches us about Holy Spirit is that you are never alone, that he will equip you and teach you and guide you through this life. What it requires is that we just give more and more of ourselves to the work of Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.